continue our, our message series on the book of Psalms as we look at Psalm 32, which is another psalm written by David. And um, the psalm begins with the word blessed or blessed, depending on how you want to pronounce it. And um, the translation of, of blessed is it's happiness. It's, it's, it's true happiness, not fleeting, momentary, temporary happiness that a lot of us experience, but true, deep, genuine happiness. So this is a psalm about where we find happiness, true happiness. So listen to God's word as I read. Um, it's in your order of worship if you want to follow along there, or you can follow along in your Bible. I encourage you to follow along as I read. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach, them, reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would help us as we look at your word this morning, that you would help us to come to your word with an attitude that says, I will build my life upon what you say here. Father, we pray that your spirit would work among us and that, that your spirit would do what we are not capable of doing, that, that you would stir our hearts and that you would change us as we look at your word. And we pray that you would transform us and that no one sitting here this morning would leave here the same. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I, uh, I just watched a video this past week of a dad interrogating his son. I think it was his son. It's a little four-year-old boy, maybe. I'm not sure how old he was, but he had like a Who's the Man t-shirt on. He's a really cute little kid. And his dad's asking him this question. He's like, who ate the blue cake? And his son's like, he like looks a little confused. Like, why are you even asking me this question, you know? And the dad says again, who ate the blue cake? And he's like, my brother's? like, did you eat the blue cake? And he's just like, he looks incredulous. Like, well, I, 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 have not, I've, I have no idea what you're talking about. And the entire time, if you want to just put the picture up there, Donovan, this is, this is the little boy right here. <laughs> he's like, did, did you eat the blue cake? He's like, no. <laughs> All the while, he's got that, you know, bright blue smudge of icing on the edge of his mouth. You can take it down, Donovan. But I mean, I, I'm sure all of us can probably relate to him. Um, we can probably, probably 
we can remember a time when we were little and maybe we did something, we broke something, um, and we're desperate not to be found out, and so we try, we're trying desperately to cover it up, you know? <laughs> um, uh, we're hoping it doesn't get noticed, uh, but, but we, try, we try desperately to cover it up. And I, I mean, we probably, if we're honest, we, we don't have to even look that far back as when we were little kids, because it happens as adults too. Um, we try to cover things up that we've done wrong. Maybe we've told somebody we're going to do something and we don't get to it or we forget about it. And they're like, oh, did you get to that thing that I was asking you to do before? And you're like, oh, yeah, I, it's on its way, you know. All the meanwhile, you, you have done nothing about it. You know, we're, 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 um, we, we've all experienced having to cover up our own failures. And, uh, and so I think we can I identify and relate to the little boy with the blue smudge on the side of his, on the side of his mouth. Um, this psalm highlights a problem all of us deal with, all of us struggle with. It highlights the problem of the fact that, that every single one of us are, are sinners. And by that I mean we, we all have lived our lives and continue to live our lives in ways contrary to how God wants us to live them. We, um, we, we don't love him, we don't pay attention to him as we are meant to. We don't love other people and the things that we do and the ways that we treat them and the things that we say to them. Um, we're all sinners. We, we've all failed to live up to God's desires for us, to God's standards for us. But the problem is um, we have a hard time really acknowledging this and, and admitting it. We'd rather cover it up We'd rather cover, cover up the fact that we're sinners. For, for a lot of us, I think, in today's world, the way that we cover it up is just by denying that it's even a reality, that denying that, that we are, we're even sinful at all. Um, we, we all kind of just believe, yeah, we're all, we're all basically pretty good people, you know? Yeah, occasionally I make a mistake sometimes, but, but we're all good, really. And so we deny it. For, for others of us, we might agree with the theoretical idea that we're sinners, but we don't spend a whole lot of time acknowledging it, confessing it, being honest about it with God, let alone other people. And we cover it up. We, we try to cover it up in all sorts of ways. Um, and even when it, it happens in, in the practical, you know, day-by-day -day life um, and we're caught, you know, when we, when we, when we do something we, we know we shouldn't, when we, when we, like, lose our temper and yell at somebody that we live with, and we, we, we try to cover that up by making excuses, you know, oh, I'm just really tired. That's not really me. I'm not really a sinner. I'm just tired. It's been a long day. It's been a rough week. I've got a lot to deal with. We excuse it. Or maybe we blame other people. That's another way that we cover it up, you know. I only yelled because of the way that they were treating me. You know, I only yelled at the kids because they were ignoring me. Um, we, we try to cover it up by making excuses. We try to cover it up by blaming other people. We try to cover it up by rationalizing it, by minimizing it. All of our sin, we do that with. We ignore it. We, we, we try to cover it up. But the, one of the things that, that David points out in this psalm is that when we cover up our sin, when we're silent about our sin, that actually leads to suffering. That's what he points out here. But on the flip side, when we are honest about our sin, when we're honest about it, that is actually what leads to happiness, to a life of blessedness. 
And that's what I want to talk about, and I'm going to draw our attention to here, is those two things, that the fact that when we are silent about our sin, that's going to lead to suffering, and when we're honest, it's going to lead to happiness, okay? So first of all, in, in verses three to four, David testifies to how his own silence has led to his suffering. I'll just read this again to you. He says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. He, he talks about how he is suffering as a result of him not confessing his sin to God, not admitting that he's a sinner, trying to cover it up. He suffers in, in several different ways. He experiences agony. He experiences, first of all, there's this internal sense of, of suffering, of agony, right? He says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. He's not talking about the fact that when he didn't confess his sin, that his bones actually got smaller and maybe riddled with holes and like were more breakable. He's, he's saying that internally, as he failed to admit his own sinfulness to God, it took its toll on him on the inside. One of the things that the Bible says over and over again is that, that what sin leads to, it leads to separation from God, separation from the one who is, is life itself. It leads to death. That is what sin leads to. That is what our sin leads to. It, it, it leads to death, and not just physical death, it, death, it leads to spiritual death, internal death. And so the thing is, as you look around you, you can see people who look like they're thriving on the outside. They look like they have their lives all together. They've maybe accomplished incredible things, and they've accumulated all this wealth and all these things by the world standard. They look like a success. But the reality is, if they haven't dealt with their sin, if they haven't admitted their sin, if they haven't been honest about their sin, what the, what's happening is that they're dying on the inside. And they're not as healthy as they might appear to be. And that's what happens to us. When we, when we fail to, to acknowledge our sin, it leads to suffering, internal suffering. No matter how good you might look to other people, you're going to waste away on the inside. And, and so there's internal agony. And, and this agony is also constant, right? He says, he, says um, he groans all day long. And then he says in verse 4, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. There's this sense where David felt like when he didn't confess his sin to God, there was this constant sense of, of God's um, disappointment with him, this constant sense of God's judgment upon him. His hand was heavy upon him, and it never let up. He couldn't escape it. And that's absolutely true for us. When we, when we fail to be honest about our sin and look at our own failures, it takes its toll, and it doesn't stop. It doesn't let up. We, we have to live constantly with this burden. Um, we've been watching this TV show where these celebrities go through special ops training, special forces training, and they do all these like incredibly hard things. It's brutal. But one of the things that they have to do is they have to wear these backpacks that are like, you know, 45 pounds heavy or something like that. They wear these backpacks everywhere they go. And these aren't like big hulking people that you usually see in the special forces. These are like, you know, some of them are athletes, but others are just like TV stars or reality stars or whatever. And they're like these small people. And so everywhere they go, they're just hunched over with the backpack and they can hardly move, you know? And that's, that's what unconfessed sin does to us. It doesn't let up. It doesn't leave us alone. It weighs upon us. We can't escape it. And lastly, there's this, this suffering that, that drains us. He says, my strength was dried up 
as by the heat of summer. When we aren't in the regular habit of, of looking at our own hearts and where we sin and where we fail, fall short of God's desires for us, where we, where we fall short of how we should be loving the people around us, it saps us of life and strength. I, I mentioned last week, you know, all of us, we, I, I would, I'm, I'm pretty confident probably m- the majority of, of us this week even have probably been like, oh, I'm so tired. You know, life is wearying. It's tiring because of all the responsibilities that we have, of all the, the, the difficult things that we face. But one of the things that causes us to be, to, to be so weariful, um, wearied, is, is because of the fact that we, we don't have a healthy, honest relationship with God. And our sin, our unconfessed sin, saps our strength, keeps us from being able to, to, to actually move towards life with, with real strength and energy. And so this is what silence leads to. It leads to suffering that is internal, that's constant, that's, that's draining. And this is what happens when we cover up our sin, whether it's just denying that we're sinful at all, whether it's uh, blaming other people, shifting the blame, making excuses, minimizing it, not paying attention to it. But this psalm isn't about suffering. It's not about misery, right? It's about blessedness. It's about happiness. As I pointed out before, the first word of the psalm is blessed. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. And, and what he says here, and when, they, when he talks about blessed and, and true happiness, I'm not just talking about like, yay, I feel good about life. I'm talking about having our longings, a happiness that comes that, that, that's the equivalent of, of having all of your longings fulfilled. This is a deep happiness that we can't just create by uh, the victory of our favorite team in the Super Bowl tonight. You know, this is a deep happiness that lasts, that sustains us through life. Where does this happiness come from? Come from? Well, it, he says it clearly. Happiness comes from knowing that my sin is forgiven, knowing that my transgressions are forgiven, knowing that my sin is covered, knowing that God's not going to hold my sin against me. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. And then he says, in whose spirit there is no deceit. So where is it? How do we get this forgiveness? How do we get this sense of, of God saying, he's not going to hold my sin against me. He's going to take my guilt away. He's going he's to be on my side. Where does that come from? How do I get that? And the psalm's pretty clear about this. It doesn't say, um, you know, the way to get forgiveness is by performing, by trying really hard to pay God back to get him to forgive me, by doing a bunch of good things. The, the only thing that David does here to get God's forgiveness, what is it? He says, it's when when there's no deceit in my spirit. Or in other words, down in verse, is it six? Yeah. Or no, I'm sorry, verse five. He said, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That is all David had to do to be forgiven. It's just to be honest about his sin. To be honest about the fact that he had offended God. To be honest about the fact that he had disrespected God. That's all he had to do. Confess his sin. That's what Steve read earlier in 1 John, right? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. The only thing we need to do to be forgiven, to receive the gift of God's grace, is to be honest. 
to confess our sin. That is the good news. And, and the, the reason that this makes for a happy life, a blessed life, is that when we confess our sin and we are forgiven by God, then that relationship that is, that is fixed with God is tied up with all sorts of incredible things that the, that the last few verses talk about here. When we confess our sin and God forgives us the iniquity of our sin, then, therefore, this is what we experience. When we are forgiven... It leads to a confidence in the presence of God and his intentions for us. David knows that he is forgiven by God, and so he, he urges everyone, go, go towards him, draw near to God. Let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. He says, move towards him. When we know that we are forgiven, it means that we don't have to hide from him. We don't have to worry about God chasing us down to punish us. It enables us to run towards him. And find in him a hiding place, right? That's what he says. You are a hiding place for me. You pre preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. It results in a confidence that, that I can find rest and peace and security and safety in the presence of God, even in the midst of stuff falling down around me in my life. Even in the, in the midst of, of, of family relationships that are, are being torn apart, of people that I care about who are hurting deeply. In the midst of loss, I can find that God's presence is a hiding place for me. I am safe there. I'm secure. When I know that I'm forgiven, it, it moves me to, to draw near to him, to move towards him in prayer. I don't know how many of you guys have seen in the, um, maybe some in the news, or just the last few days, there's, there's what people are calling a revival happening at a, a university called Asbury University in, K in Kentucky where they started having a chapel service on Wednesday at 10 a.m., and it's still going on. They, the chapel service ended, and then they start, everybody started walking out, but the, 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 um, the gospel choir or whatever continued singing and singing worship songs, and people were like, oh, well, maybe I should go back in. And so they went back in, and, and they just continued worshiping. They continued praying together. They continued crying out to God. They continued confessing their sin. And it's still going on. And more people than just students from the school are attending this thing. People are driving from a distance to go to this thing. Um, I think they had a service last night, and maybe they, they took a break, and they're meeting again at 1.30 today. But it continues. And, and that's what I long for to be. I long to be a part of something like that, where we are experiencing the presence of God in a powerful way. And you know what that starts with? That starts with us being honest. That starts with us confessing our sin and repenting of how we've offended God. That's where it begins. Because when we do that, that opens the gates for us to know that God's grace is there and we can move towards him and hide in him. So honesty leads to happiness because we experience forgiveness and it leads to a confidence in God's presence. It also leads to contentment in God's wisdom, as you continue reading on in the psalm, where he then shifts um, in, uh, in verse 8, David shifts to the first person. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. There's some difference of opinion about, from, from commentators about who's actually talking here. Is David talking to the rest of the congregation, to the rest of the people, saying, look at me, listen to me, I'm going to instruct you how you should 
go to God and follow him and things like that. And, and others think, and I tend to agree with the, the, these others who say that David shifts here and is actually quoting God. This is God speaking here. And God is saying, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Um, when we experience the forgiveness of God, it puts us in a place of humility and readiness to surrender to how he wants to lead us, to how he wants to instruct us. You know, this, this revival in Kentucky, one of the things that people are praying about, God, show us what you want us to do. Show us how you want us to change the way that we're treating people and loving people, you know? In verse 9, he says, Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. He gives us a picture of right, this, this, this animal, a horse or a mule, who, who you can't really control that well unless you have the bit or the bridle on it. You know, you have to pull at it, and it might resist you. And he says, no, the ideal is that we are a people who aren't forced to, to obey God and, and love people and sacrifice for people and speak the way he wants us to. No, we should be people who, who like, want to be as close to God and his commands as possible. And, and, and we're, we're just eager to surrender to what he wants for us as far as what we are pursuing in life, as far as what we are thinking about, as far as how we speak. He wants us to be people who are eager to obey who are content to obey. That's, that's where that comes from. You know, it's a picture of an animal who is content, who knows that God's way is the best way for me. And so I'm just going to stay near him and, and just listen as hard as I can for what he wants me to do. And I think confession leads to that. Do you realize this? When we confess how we have broken God's law, when we confess how we failed to, to love God and others as we should, one of the things that we're doing is we're affirming the fact that God knows what's best. When I say, yeah, you're right, God. I, I, haven't, I haven't, you know, treated my friends the way I should. I haven't treated my enemies the way I should. I'm saying, God, I, I know what you want is right and what is best. And the more we get in the habit of confessing our sins, the more that puts us into a place of humility and readiness to do what he wants me to do. And so contentment in God's wisdom is another result. And, and, and again, this is, this is a picture of a, of a life that is happy, a life that is blessed. A life that is blessed is, is a life that is confident in the presence of God, that is drawing near to God. It's a life where we are content where we are happy because we know that God, what, what God's commands are for us are what are best for us. That's a life that is happy, where we're not always fighting him for, for control of my life, you know? But finally, I, I would say that confessing our sin puts us in a place where we are, we are able and encouraged to celebrate, right? In verses 10 and 11, he says, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. David affirms the fact, he points to the fact that when we are honest about our sin and we experience the grace of God and his forgiveness, then that is something to shout for joy about. That is something to celebrate about. That is something to party about. You know, um, it's hard not to be happy when you're celebrating at a party, isn't it? And that's what he invites us to do. 
Because being forgiven, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing that is worth celebrating more than being forgiven by God. Every single one of us, because of our sin, we deserve death, as I said before. We deserve to be separated from God. We deserve to drown in the rush of great waters. That is what we deserve. And yet God, in his mercy and his kindness, through the work of his son Jesus, he says, no, I will forgive you. And I will pour out my love on you. I will surround you with my love on every side. You won't be able to escape my love. You'll be surrounded by it. That is something to, to celebrate. That is something to shout about. Did you notice the word shout comes up a couple times in this psalm? At the very end, what I just said, and what I just read, when he said, shout for joy, all you upright in heart. And then earlier in verse 7, he says, you surround me with shouts of deliverance. I think these shouts are shouts of celebration and joy because of this incredible news that I am I'm forgiven because God isn't against me, he is for me. There is nothing greater, nothing more worth celebrating than that. And I love just this reference to these shouts, this, this uh, just kind of like, trying to hear the shouts of heaven. You know, in, in, uh, in uh, Luke 15, 7, Jesus says, there's more joy over one sinner who repents than 99 who are righteous and who haven't strayed away. You know, he, Jesus himself is pointing out, you know, there's more joy in heaven over one person who is honest about the fact that he has turned away from God than about 99 people who don't think they need forgiveness, who are insistent on covering up their sin. says there's joy and celebration in heaven in this. There are shouts in heaven over this. Can you hear them? Can you hear them? That's what he encourages us to hear when we confess our sin. When we get in the habit of, of not just confessing our sin once a, once a week on Sunday mornings, but in the habit, in a daily habit of, of looking at my own heart and confessing ways that I've, I've failed. Ways that I've turned my back on God. Ways that I've put myself before him and others. When we do that, he, he urges us to listen. Listen for the, the crowd of heaven shouting. The, a few years ago, I was watching uh, my, my, my favorite soccer team play, and one of my favorite, favorite players on the team, he did this amazing thing where he, he got the ball at one end of the field, and, and the goal he was trying to shoot him was all the way at the other end of the field. He got the ball at one end of the field, and he started dribbling with the ball. And he's like, he, he kind of like dribbles around some defenders. He looks for guys to pass to. He doesn't have anybody that he can pass to, so he just keeps dribbling. And then other guys try to stop him, and he, and he dribbles past them. And then another guy, he gets to midfield, another guy almost gets him, and then he kicks the ball past him and explodes past him. And that guy misses him. And then, he, and then he goes down the field further and further and further until another guy, the last guy, the last defender comes, and he tries to get him to tackle him, and, and he kicks the ball past him and gets past him. And then he's in on goal, and he shoots, and he scores. And when he scores, you hear the crowd erupt. But it was, what, what, was really, what really struck me, what was really cool, is that the, the week after, um, when you watch this on TV from up above, it's, it's pretty impressive. And the crowds, uh, the, the, the sound of the crowd is, is impressive. But, but the week after, on social media, somebody posted um, a, 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 a video from field level of this happening. And when you watched it from field level and you watched him go from one end of the, 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 the field to the other, um, 
and you watched him like explode past each of those defenders. You know, you heard the crowd. After he went past one, you heard the crowd go, ah. And then he explodes past another one, and the crowd gets louder, and they go, ah. And then he gets it on goal, and when he finally shoots, and the ball hits the net, the crowd erupts, and the sound is, it gives you like goosebumps how loud the sound is. It gives you a sense of what it's actually like to be that player on the field and to hear. It's amazing. And I think that's what Jesus wants us to hear, what God wants us to hear when we confess our sin. That the host of heaven is crying out with shouts of joy and praise. Not because you've done something incredible, but because of what God has done. In response to our honesty. That's what makes for a happy life. That's what makes for a happy life. Happiness is living with the confidence of the presence of God, with, with contentment that what he knows for me, what he wants for me is what is best. And, and it's, it's a constant awareness of, of heaven, of God celebrating his grace poured out upon me. And it all begins with me being honest. It, it, it all revolves around it, the, the choice. Am I gonna commit to a life of covering up my sin? You know, when I, when I was a little kid, I had this joke book that I really loved. There are all these, you know, really dumb, bad jokes in it. But my favorite joke in the joke book is, is uh, you know, how do you know that an elephant is hiding in your refrigerator? And the answer is, because of the footprint in the butter. <laughs> I love that joke so much. <laughs> it was like the best. Do you guys get it? Like, you, you, you can't really, an elephant doesn't fit in the refrigerator, first of all. So... <laughs> The fact that an elephant's hiding in the, you, you know, that you look for these other pieces of evidence that this footprint's in the butter. Okay, never mind. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> you just can't appreciate it, I guess. I, I love that joke. But, but that's the thing. Like, our sin is like an elephant trying to hide in the refrigerator. You realize this, how foolish it is for us to try to cover it up and to hide it and to not acknowledge it. And don't you see that, that as David writes, as God tells us through David, if only we will be honest, if only we will develop a habit of confession and repentance, look at what is in store for you. Instead of trying to cover it up, the, 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 the word covered is used a couple times in this passage, in this, in this psalm, right? Um, in verse five, it talks about us covering up our own sin. What's the other option? Verse one, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. The other option is to say, God, I'm not going to try to cover up my sin. I'm going to let you cover it for me. And that is exactly what Jesus came to do. Jesus came into the world in order to die for us as a substitute for us, to cover us, to cover our sins, so that when God looks at us, he only sees the beauty of Christ's righteousness. And that is where true happiness is found. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would save us from lives of where we are intent on covering our own sin. Father, we pray, we pray that you would help us to, to save us from, from being proud and thinking that we don't have all that much to confess. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes, that you would help us to see what is truly in our hearts, the ways that we are so self-centered Father, we pray that you would help us to, to develop 
habit, a daily habit of, of confessing to you our sin and repenting and receiving your grace. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We now have an opportunity to, to meet Jesus, to experience his grace at the Lord's table.